You are listening to What We Should Have Learned in School. Hey, it's Amy here. And I wanted to share with you an interview I did with Dr. George Pransky. George Pransky is one of the founders of a breakthrough approach to human understanding that is currently among the fastest growing approaches in the world. He's taught for over 40 years to individuals, couples, businesses, and colleagues. And Dr. Pransky is also the author of The Relationship Handbook. Let's see what George has to say about jealousy and envy. Like what, what does a person who's really stuck in the throes of envy, you know, what kind of feelings are they experiencing? What kind of actions do they take? Do they go on, you know, crazy binge diets or what, what have you kind of seen throughout the years? It starts with a feeling of insecurity. Okay. So if you took envy and you dug down, you got a deeper view of it you would see just generalized insecurity. So the person has lost their emotional bearing and they feel a little insecure, okay? Well, then you're trying to get relief from that insecurity and, and, and relief from feeling like their plight isn't as good as it should be or they're not as good a person as they should be. They go from there to trying to get relief as a coping mechanism, they imagine how things would be better. Okay, so they imagine, well, if I was, uh, if I was my neighbor who has more money than I do, he's got a more beautiful wife than I do, he seems happier than I do. If I was my neighbor, I would be happy. I wouldn't be feeling this way. And that gives people temporary relief because they're imagining uh, a happy thought, see? And people always experience uh, their thinking in real time. Whatever they're thinking right now, they, they feel that thinking via their senses. That's, that's what human consciousness does. It, it brings each thought to life. And this thought is a pleasant thought of, gee, wouldn't it be great to be my neighbor? And, uh, and from that, they get a good thought. That's why I call it a coping mechanism, because they're, hmm. they're trying to replace the bad feeling they have of insecurity with the monster thought. Okay? But then, as, as they continue to think about their neighbor and think about how much better it would be to be their neighbor, and as they think about how many things about their neighbor's life are better than theirs, uh, invariably they think more about how bad their life is and how deprived their life is and how bad it is by comparison. And unwittingly, they end up feeling worse than they did before they thought about how nice it would be to be their neighbor. You see? So... Even though the person is really thinks they're onto something here because they had a temporary shot of good feeling. Oh yeah, I love that fantasy of my neighbor's life. Then when they uh, continue to think in that vein from their own feelings of, you know, uh, 
inadequacy and, and insecurity and feeling sorry for themselves and dissatisfaction, when they start to think in those directions, those feelings come back to them and they start feeling worse and worse, more dissatisfied, more deprived by comparison, more uh, upset about their plight, and they might even feel resentment towards the neighbor for the, the neighbor, you know, flaunting this nicer life to them. Yeah. And, and that, to me, is how jealousy generally plays out. And each person is a little different. But you find in every person, it starts yeah. with, I'm just not feeling, you know, I mean, feeling insecure. I'm having some, you know, negative feeling about my life and about myself. And then in everybody that has it, the tendency to go to the coping mechanism of, well, let me think for a minute about someone who's got a really nice life. Maybe that will make me feel good to them. And they do that. And then that turns into, well, that makes me even feel even worse about my own life. That's kind of a cycle that people make. Have you seen that this, this thinking pattern, I guess, for lack of a better word, of, of insecurity leads to clinical diagnoses like depression? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that when a person starts thinking about how dissatisfied they are with their plight, And they do that innocently, but nevertheless, it affects them because they they live in the feeling of their thinking. They feel their thinking. And then in the case of jealousy, uh, envy, as they uh, innocently make that comparison between themselves and the other person, as I said earlier, that will lower their spirits even further. And at some critical mass of lowered spirits, they would be diagnosed as uh, clinically depressed. That's all it is, is a critical mass of low spirits. So you've got the amount of thinking they do and the, the, how negative the thinking is and how seriously they take the thinking makes that descent either quicker and deeper or not so quick and not as deep. So there's those variables in it. But there's no question that when a person um, takes their thinking uh, towards dissatisfaction, uh, realizing how uh, thinking they're unhappy, uh, it lowers their spirits. And when they compare themselves with people who are much better off and feel worse for the comparison, and their spirits go down, they're headed towards depression. And that's really all that's happening. They've been bent, spindled, and mutilated by their own thoughts. I'm sure at this point, readers are going to be dying to know, okay, that sounds great, but how do I get over my envy, George? What do I do? Well, there's really only one solution to getting beyond or or releasing a negative experience, okay? And that is 
to release the thought. Because the negative experience is completely determined and defined and sourced by whatever thinking is happening at the time. And getting over that thought, releasing that thought, dropping that thought, uh, having you know, the thought pass, whatever you want to call it, ultimately, that's what changes from having that bad experience to having a nicer feeling. Because below it all, human beings are by nature lighthearted, joyful, loving. That's their, their nature. That's why all young kids, two, three years old, are that way. You know, they're pretty consistently that way. They, they run everywhere because they can't wait to get to where they're going. And where they're going is pretty indiscriminate. Who knows? They maybe go over to pick up a rock and play with it. So people by nature are joyful and loving and feeling good, all right? And, and even though that's our natural state, it's the homeostasis, it's, it's our home, it's our true identity, Every human being, through their free will, has the power to override that and feel the way their thinking gets them feeling. So they can override that with a thought of envy or a thought of jealousy or a thought of uh, resentment or anger at any moment. And when they do that, they will feel the that thought instead of feeling the natural state of well-being. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up, Amy, is because you don't have to think a good thought in order to feel better. You just have to uh, get old. It stopped you after. Yeah, it stopped. And right when you were getting to some real juicy bit, uh, you were saying that you don't have to think a, a better thought, basically. And then it, it cuts right. off after. Okay. So you, you don't have to think a better thought. As soon as that uh, troublesome, painful thought leaves your mind, hmm. automatically, without any effort on your part, a natural, positive thought of love and joy and tranquility, all those positive feelings will automatically come to mind. It's, it's built into the system. You see, so... You don't have to replace it. You don't have to rethink. You just have to allow it to happen, the natural thing to happen. Now, this is very, very fortunate because it would be a lot of effort for us to have to manufacture these positive thoughts on our own. It wouldn't be that big a deal, but it would be some effort. It would be, well, I, I got to get a positive one there to replace the negative one. But the negative ones are the, uh, are the kind of man-made one. They're the ones that we our free will and through our innocence bring these thoughts to mind and feel that as a result when they leave automatically you're going to feel more well-being and feel better now the other fortunate thing through oh boy is this fortunate thought is by nature transient you see so it's hard for people to hold a thought in their head for five minutes, it, it's a little bit of an effort. That's why they get stressed by their negative thinking because they're innocently holding it in their minds. So human beings really shouldn't be concerned about negative thoughts because they're transient and they're, they're bound to come and go. 
But first of all, people don't understand that. And second of all, there's something that holds negative thoughts in place that makes it very difficult for us to uh, let go of a thought or drop a thought. And that is crucial to this discussion, absolutely crucial. And that is to extend that a thought looks real, like it represents reality that it has an objective existence independent of our thinking. When a thought looks real to a human being, myself included, we have trouble letting go of the thought, de-emphasizing the thought, moving away from the thought, we, because it seems to us important to uh, respect that thought and deal with that thought because it looks real. <laughs> We're dealing with something here. And, and to ignore it, given that we think it's real, would be the very definition of denial. You'd be denying something and pretending it wasn't real and important when you think it is real and important. So conversely, as soon as a human being sees an experience as thought, pure thought, the only reason I'm feeling this envy is because I'm thinking envious thoughts about my neighbor. Not only reason, but for those thoughts, I would not be feeling envious. I would be feeling uh, loving, joyful. I'd be feeling well-being. I have peace of mind. But I'm thinking those thoughts. I don't. I don't mean to. I didn't get up this morning and say, "I'm going to bum myself out with these thoughts." I just fell into these thoughts, if you will. But I'm. I'm thinking these thoughts, and because I'm thinking these thoughts right now, right now, I'm feeling those painful feelings of envy, painful feelings of insecurity, painful feelings of jealousy, whatever they are, okay? Now, the slightest suspicion that all that's happening is me thinking those thoughts right now, the slightest suspicion of that will move those thoughts in, in a direction of out of your mind, out of your, out of your uh, attention, out of your, out of your head. So the, the antidote to painful thoughts is what I'm going to call thought recognition. Hmm. In fact, you recognize it for what it is, and what it is is a transient thought. And you recognize the link between a transient thought and an experience that is very gripping or very painful or just any experience. If you can see the link between the always consistent, inextricable link between what you think and the experience you're having, how you feel, if you see that link at all, you'll notice that your thoughts aren't impacting you the way they were before. Now, I'm going to give uh, an analogy that will help you with this. Okay? That's okay, right? Perfect, okay. yeah. Good. Okay. You go to a movie. In the movie, they have sadness. They have terror. They have anger. Jealousy, a whole range of emotions. 
uh, euphoria, enthusiasm. And as a moviegoer, if you're really into the movie, you go through all those experiences. So if, if someone monitored your brain, did a PET scan, and they didn't know you were in the movies, they'd say, oh, look at this poor person. They're feeling angry now. They must be having an argument with someone. Now they're feeling jealous. They must be in some situation that looks superior to their own. Now they're feeling really depressed. Something bad must... They would, they would just think that all these circumstances cause them to have all these emotions. That would be the normal way of looking at it. Someone that understands the role of thought would realize that as they're sitting in the theater, they're thinking the thoughts that are going on in the movie. So they're thinking of jealousy, they're thinking the betrayal, they're thinking this. And they're having representative feelings that are a complete reflection of those thoughts. One-to-one mirror those thoughts. They are like the mirror image of those thoughts. So they're going through all this pain and suffering and these highs and lows sitting there in the theater. But yet, there's a way in which we know, even though we're in the throes of a deep experience in the theater, that it's not a permanent thing. It's not anything we have to concern ourselves with. It's just something we're going through because we're watching the movie. As soon as the movie's over, we go out of the theater and go home. and Maybe we think about it a little bit and some of the feelings come back. But it's not really a contextual issue in our life. It's just a transitory issue in our life. Now, when you start to see the thought is, is, is identical to going to a movie that you're thinking has special effects that we call consciousness. It's like a movie. So your thinking is like the script. And the special effects is like consciousness. Because the special effects is tied to your senses. And every thought that you have, a full spectrum of sensory experience accompanies that thought. So if you're thinking jealous thoughts or envious thoughts, you will feel the full spectrum of sensory experience about what it is to feel jealous and feel envious. Now, if interjected into that, you realize, wow, this is just my thinking. That's the only thing. But for my thinking, I wouldn't be feeling this way. My thinking is the author of these thoughts. My thinking is the author of these thoughts. That's all that's happening. This is freestanding. If I weren't thinking this, I'd be feeling different. You see? And that's the only way that people can find uh, fluidity in their experiences and people can get, get over or get past painful experiences. They just begin to see them as just thought. Or their thinking just changes. Maybe they're in the midst of a painful experience and suddenly they remember that their meter is running out. You know, so they forget about the thought. They run out of the car and they put money in the meter before the It got a little muddled there with what George was saying, but what he was basically saying is how our feeling states change naturally. 
And he gave the example of someone being caught in a really painful experience and then remembering that they forgot to pay the parking meter and so they run out and that consumes their attention and they're no longer in that painful previous feeling. And it's the same as when, let's say you're in an argument and then grandmother calls and you immediately switch your tone of voice, your sensation and your experience changes as you're talking with your grandmother, or perhaps it's a business call. You're in the middle of a a fight or feeling badly and you put on your business voice, hello, this is so-and-so, and immediately your experience changes as a result of that change in attention. So people can just change their thinking or they can recognize that their thinking is the only thing that's gone wrong. There's nothing independent of them, real in the world, that has an objective existence that accounts for the way they feel. It's just that they're thinking that at that moment that tells the whole story of why they're experiencing that. So that's a a very uh, long, detailed answer to your question. Well, the first thing I heard when you were speaking is that you weren't talking about the law of attraction or like positive psychology when you were defining thought. And it occurred to me as you were speaking as well, well, yeah, that makes sense. I've never had an optimistic thought and felt anxious. That's never happened (laughs) that I can remember. I want to say this about thought, what you were saying about law of attraction and all that. The law of attraction and positive thinking and um, framing. All of that has under it the assumption that you and I are responsible for managing our thinking. See, so we have to make it happen. If we're going to have a positive thought, a positive experience, we have to make that happen. If we have a bad experience, we have to uh, make it happen that we have a good one. Now, I'm suggesting that thought is way too quick for us to manage it. It just comes in over my head and that's it. It's too late already. To manage thought. See, that's the bad news. Bad news is too late already to manage stuff. Good news is we don't have to manage it because the answer isn't in managing it, it's understanding it for what it is. The same way that the answer to not, you know, having to bring a, a gun with you when you go to a war movie uh, for protection is you understand the movie for what it is. A movie is just a bunch of projections on a screen, it's made up. It's got special effects. And when you see, understand the nature of how the mind works, thought is made up as well. We make up our own thinking, and then it's brought to life by consciousness and made to look real. And when you understand the nature of it, it it's not going to scare you and, and make you feel like you have to manage it or have a coping mechanism. Because as soon as you understand it for what it is, you'll see how fluid it is transient it is it comes and goes so as we wrap up today's interview let's bring back that theme of faulty cause and effect that we talked about last week based on what we've heard today and based on most importantly your own wisdom your own knowledge your own experience in the world is the source of your pain really caused by other people in their success Is the source of your pain caused by you? Well, I would say no, not in the traditional sense. The cause of your pain isn't the conscious you doing that. So it's not your fault that you're having a painful experience. 
it's just part of being human. We're all human. We all experience painful sensations. But as Dr. George Pransky has highlighted throughout today's episode, painful thoughts come and go just the same way that our motivated or optimistic thoughts come and go. I want to leave you with one analogy for today. Thoughts are like cravings. In fact, cravings are thoughts. You know, if you've ever been hungry, ever been craving an ice cream, and you have physically felt that sensation of hunger, but then you got engaged in a work project or some activity, and you forgot all about feeling hungry, you, you physically stopped feeling hungry. This is the same thing. That link between how we're interpreting the world, what we're putting our attention and focus on, and the sensations we feel in the body. They're two sides of the same coin. The trouble is with us human beings is we tend to be a little bit self-centered. We tend to be a bit egoistic. And therefore, we assume that just because we had the thought that it's somehow important. But just because you've had a similar thought many times, just because you have a habit of thinking about yourself in a certain way, does it really mean that it's true. I'll leave you with one last question today. Aside from cause and effect, if that's not resonating with you, I ask you this question. Are you the thinker or are you the thought? You've been listening to what we should have learned in school. I'm your host, Amy Leo. Next week, we're going to be talking in more detail about body image specifically. So if you don't want to miss that, be sure to click that subscribe button One simple click really could make all the difference. The conversations that we're having on what we should have learned in school are not the conversations being had in the mainstream, neither in the mainstream self-help world. So I really encourage you to join our mini revolution here, our evolution into having a kinder, a richer experience of ourselves in the world, in all our humanness in the good and in the bad. I'll talk to you again next week.